I'm Dora Vandekamp. I have been on a mission for the last 16 years to discover the world's most powerful beauty secrets. The Biohack Your Beauty podcast is a deep dive into the world of biohacking, lifestyle, wellness, and self-development. Join me in uncovering the mysteries of beauty, anti-aging, and ultimate longevity with the experts, teachers, and guides who are leading the health revolution. And now, on to the show. Greetings, beautiful ones. I am really excited about today's episode. I have been wanting to do something like this for such a long time. Today's episode is a collection of highlights from the Biohack Your Beauty podcast, and today's focus is skin. I've selected some of my favorite, favorite segments all about skincare, the skin microbiome, beauty, and skin-related nutrition, and so many amazing revelations and tips to keep your skin looking and feeling healthy, vibrant, and beautiful. And I've made sure to put all links in the show notes so that you can easily find these guests and their social pages, websites, and also their products. If this episode resonates with you, please leave a positive review on iTunes. Literally just scroll down and rate five stars. And then if you want to also write a review, that would help us spread the word about the power of holistic health and wellness. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. My very first highlight today is from my interview with the dynamic beauty philosopher Nadine Artemis. She is the creator of one of my favorite skincare lines that I mention on this podcast all the time, Living Libations. I would like to talk a little bit about the foundation of the health and condition of our skin, which is the microbiome. And why is it so important to take care of our microbiome? Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah, I'd love to talk about that. And I I feel it's a really important thing because we're definitely coming out of, um, you know, some great education from the past few decades that has really spoken to the toxicity of toiletries. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I don't think we always, I'm sure somebody knew, but we didn't always know. I mean, the history of poison and toxicity in cosmetics is, you know, even beyond. So synthetics came into being around the turn of the century. And uh, that's really when you got the division between um, what was sort of, or what is now like pharmaceutical and medicinal as opposed to like botanical and plant-based. So do you know what I mean? Like for a millennia, perfume and medicine were really seen as one and the same. Mm-hmm. And the perfumer, and like in, you know, in being general, but in different cultures, the perfumer was the medicine maker. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's like a South American shaman or a, a pre, you know, an Egyptian uh, priest. Yeah. So they, the, you know, medicine was the perfume and the perfumer was the medicine maker. And when I learned this, I mean, I found that just fascinating. 
And that really compelled me to recreate formulas of ancient ointments so I could just catch a whiff of what life, life was like. Um, and then you really realize like this separation so that at that turn of the century when synthetics were made, the beauty preparations were, were, were starting to be separated from the fruits of creation. Mm -hmm. And then our skin, the sentinel of our immune system really suffered because beauty remedies were once sluiced from sap and pressed from petals. And so, you know, presently, and for a lot of the past hundred years, um, what we've applied to our body has really become lifeless liquids, a mist of reverence and chock full of ingredients that disrupt our microbiome. And um, they can poison and mutate the moist envelope of our soul, which is what I think of as our skin. And so the history, you know, even before the turn of the century, you know, there's moments where there's, you know, mercury and lead and arsenic in beauty preparations. Yeah. And then with the advent of synthetics, we now know, you know, in, in modern times, we know that there are endocrine disruptors and that parabens have been, you know, disrupting our breast tissue or our livers um, and our whole, whole, whole hormonal system. So that's sort of what we've known. And that's why we're like, oh, you know, that sort of that green beauty movement obviously came out of a lot of that. Oh, I don't want to put that on my body, that kind of thing. But now with this revolutionary research about the microbiome, um, which has really been research for the, you know, we've gotten a lot of understanding about the microbiome in the past 20 years. And it's, it's one of the biggest growing areas of science and understanding the human body. And now what we realize is, you know, we really are literally crawling with critters <laughs> on a microscopic level. Yeah. And we need that. And mm -hmm. so that sort of 1940s germ warfare theory of like, you know, kill the germ. <laughs> it's just like we forgot about mm -hmm. everything else. And that's sort of been our modern approach to things. It's like, you know, from factory farming and pesticides, our soil is depleted, depleted of microbes. And so rather than reef repopulating those microbes right it's just like more and more pesticides right so that's kind of been our approach to our body whether that's our skin or a virus you know or something with our guts or something in our mouths or a yeast infection you know if we're talking about vaginal microbiome so it's been this like combat but now like you know kill it with the listerine mouthwash but now what we know, whether we're talking about skin or oral care or gut health, is that it's all connected to the microbes in our body. And we really need to tend to this garden. We need to bask in what is replenishing us and really, you know, step out of the way so that every time we're applying a lotion, we're not mutating the microbes. And all skin imbalances, you know, whether that's acne or age spots, eczema, rosacea, melasma, uh, dermatitis, psoriasis, um, fungal infections and blackheads, clogged pores, dandruff, all that stuff and more are really all manifestations of microbial imbalance. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's what we need to look at, you know, mm -hmm. and some of that can be deep. You're inheriting your uh, the matriarchal, the matrilineal microbiome. And so when we go through the birth canal, that's when we get our initial inoculation. Then that's supposed to be further the 
That's our microbiome, the genome. Uh, it's our maternal microbiome's genome, and we want to activate that with breast milk. So, you know, whether your grandmother was taking antibiotics or if you were born by cesarean or if you've had like the like typical North Americans that have had about seven to eight courses of antibiotics before they're 10 years old. Wow. All of that yeah. is going to affect your, yeah. you know, teenage and adult in your, well, your skin, even your, you know, your baby skin, babies have eczema sometimes and that kind of stuff. So we really want to like re, you know, we really got to rethink because every toner, every harsh alcoholic toner Every exfoliant with plastic exfoliating beads, every product with methylparabens and all these petroleum-derived ingredients Mm -hmm. are messing with the microbiome. And then that's creating a vicious cycle. Or we're showering in chlorine, which kills off the uh, friendly flora that keep our skin dry. I mean, not dry, you know? So it's like a whole thing. And basically, like, everything we've been doing has been disrupting that. Our next highlight comes from Dr. Rafael Gonzalez, who is one of the world's leading researchers in stem cells. He's teamed up with anti-aging doctors to investigate and pioneer the development of stem cell therapies to find effective anti-aging strategies. And here we talk about stem cell treatments and their potential for skin regeneration. High-performance athletes, Kobe Bryant, all these type of people, they go and they get these procedures done. Because now what I can actually do is I can add these in. I can suppress the inflammatory response, which is a big problem. And then I can also increase the vasculature. We discussed this and we, we talked to MMA fighters that have this stuff done. And the MMA fighters say, you know what? My in-between round times have now gone from one minute of rest that I need to 30 seconds. Um, my Versa climber, you know, I'm maxing out on my Versa climber like when I was, you know, five years ago, eight years ago, when I before I even started fighting. Um, these type of things. So this is what you will see on a regular basis. When we discuss cosmetics, we have to discuss turnover of skin. Mm. Uh, turnover of skin actually occurs rapidly, and this occurs on a regular basis. However, at some point during your aging process, many things occur because also your skin starts to sag. And it's because you don't have the right amount of plumpness underneath this. The hypodermis, which is where the fat is actually stored, it actually starts to shrink and die down too. So these are all replaced by stem cells. Stem cells can actually take and convert and form fat. Stem cells can actually form skin. Um, however, in the case of skin, you're talking about loss of the skin actually producing the right amount, the right amount of collagen, the right amount of elastin. So that's why you have all these superficial products that you can actually put on your, you know, on your face. You can put topicals. And what you look for in this is that not necessarily the use of stem cells, but what you look for is actually the use of the derivatives of stem cells. So stem cells secrete all these factors in your body. They secrete these things. Growth factors are actually called their proteins and their different cytokines, which actually control cells, function of cells in your body. The way stem cells work, for instance, I'll give you an example. I take a stem cell or stem cells, of course, and we do an IV. The stem cell works by what's called a lock and a key system. One of them has a lock and your body, for instance, may have the key where the key is the distress signal that says, I need help. I need you to come over here and I need you to help. So a stem cell can I find that right combination, find that key, dock onto that key, and then stay there and start secreting what we just discussed, these growth factors and these signalers. That causes endogenous healing. 
your own body starts to take over. Your own stem cells now come and become active because they were dormant and not doing the right job. Your own other different cell types come in and actually will come and do the right thing. It'll signal immune cells to say, hey, I need more inflammation or I need less inflammation or I need the regulators of inflammation to come in and help me out. That's their job is to signal and actually to repair, to regenerate, and to heal, most importantly, and cause your own system to actually make the correct changes so they work the right way. Interesting. So if that process is occurring, does that also regenerate, or does it just kind of stop that process from happening? Or does it actually, like if I were to do it um, for my skin, would that actually bring that fatty tissue back underneath or would it just kind of stop that process from happening? So, so you would have to, so in the case of, if you had, for instance, a systemic injection, Mm -hmm. it would slow down that processing by stopping the process from happening. Mm -hmm. If you wanted it to regenerate more fat, you would actually have to have it injected locally into whatever areas. For instance, if you think of one thing that they use a lot in regenerative medicine, you've heard of what's called the vampire facelift. Mm. The vampire facelift is just simply what's called platelet-rich plasma, mm. uh, which is actually obtained from your blood that causes these factors to be released and cause inflammation. So when you have this stuff done, you have this stuff injected into your face, even with stem cells, you'll have an initial inflammatory response. So you'll look puffy in the beginning. And of course, what does puffy mean? means you now have stretched out the skin. Elastin is activated. Collagen is actually being released. And the skin looks much better. But when you increase blood flow, like when we see on a regular basis, or even individuals that have, let's say, heart disease or individuals that have lung problems, we do these injections of, you know, IV injections of stem cells. And what you see immediately is you'll see the person that came in sort of with a a pale, underhydrated skin. They have this stuff done, and you can now tell they're completely flush because now we've increased the vasculature. We've now increased collagen content that can actually come to the face. And skin always will look better, will appear better because of this. And that's PRP, right? That's PRP, but that's also, if you do stem cells in, in, in an IV injection, you'll see an overall benefit of even the skin actually rejuvenating, mm-hmm. the skin actually getting more vasculature into the skin and the face. You'll look at individuals, you'll see them, and before they came in, like I said, you know, they'll be somewhat maybe pale, or whatever, and then all of a sudden they have this stuff done and they're flush. Mm-hmm. You can say like, wow, you have really good vasculature in your face. Next is a highlight from my incredible interview with Luke Story. Luke is the host of the Lifestylist podcast and is one of the greatest sources of information for biohacking the physical body. Here he provides a wealth of information on how to keep your body and skin vibrant and healthy regardless of the elements and the radiation that we encounter daily and during travel. He also shares his favorite biohacking technologies and supplements. I've been weird my whole life. I'm the weird kid, and I just finally learned to love myself and accept myself as a weird person. And to me, I think other people, this is the funny thing is like all the things I do that are weird to other people, to me, I live in this other universe where the people that aren't doing breathwork on the plane are actually weird. I get <laughs> like, it. I get it. I'm like, I'm like the weirdo that's wearing my my true dark blue blocking glasses on the plane because I'm training my circadian rhythm to get that's over the right. jet lag. And people look at me like I'm a psycho or yep. like I'm trying to be a rock star from the 90s with these wraparound <laughs> glasses. And I'm like, no, you guys are the weirdos yes. that don't realize you're totally destroying yourself. Um, but the breathwork is huge. And then also acclimating yourself to sun 
So getting as much of your naked body in the sun before and after you fly, so your body has photoreceptors all over it. People don't realize that. A lot of people think that you just take daylight in through your eyes and that your body processes that information, that data, just through your optic nerve. But that's not true. You have photoreceptors all over your body, and that's giving your nervous system and your endocrine system information about your environment. It's telling your body where you are in relation to the star. And that's really important if you're tricking your body out of that by hopping in an airplane or even going on a long road trip. So as much of your body, as naked as you can get legally, in the sun, before and after flying, breath work, and then you're going to do both of those ideally grounded. So you're going to have your bare feet or some part of your body touching uh, concrete, cement, dirt, sand, grass, even putting your hand on a tree will ground you. The only surface that's really not grounded that you'd find outdoors would be asphalt, like black tar asphalt, because it's essentially made of uh, oil or rubber. So that's not grounded. Um, it's like it's like standing on a rubber mat, basically. So the grounding, the breathing, the sun. Okay, those are the free ones. Next one is, well, this could be relatively free. Next one is doing an ice bath or cryotherapy before and after flying because you want to bring down the inflammation in your body before you fly, and definitely you want to do it after you fly because, as I said, you're creating so much oxidative stress. Your body is freaking out from being up in the air for all the reasons that I described earlier. So what I like to do is when I check in a hotel, I'll find the ice machine. Uh, I'll put a plug in the bath. Like right when I get there, I'll fill up the bath and with cold water. And then I find an ice machine and I take my empty carry-on suitcase and I go fill it up with ice. And I come back and I do a couple trips and I fill up the ice bath with my suitcases. It's amazing. It, you know, it doesn't melt or anything. So it doesn't even get your suitcase wet because it's so fast. Um, even if, you, I mean, sometimes you take your larger suitcase, they're just oftentimes isn't like a big enough scoop, or, mm -hmm. you know, or whatever. So you, you got to find, you use like your, your little trash can in your hotel room <laughs> as a scooper. You know, it's a bit of a process, but it's, it's amazing how easy you can hack an ice bath in a hotel. And so that's one of the first things I'll do when I land. But um, I mean, I'll go outside and, you know, take my shirt off, do some breath work, get some sun on me. But when I get to the hotel, I try to do an ice bath as soon as possible. Um, so those are some of the more free ones. Now, in terms of other hacks and supplementation, some of these get potentially expensive. The one I'm most excited about trying that I haven't is the little Blue Shield EMF protector, the little scalar machine that goes in your pocket, because I can bring that on the plane. And from, from the anecdotal reports I've heard, that really helps because it, it creates this protective um, a barrier to all the EMFs that are going on in the plane, because that's a huge issue too. So I'm looking forward to doing that. But I do take a number of different devices on the plane. Uh, there's one called an Earth Pulse, which is a PMF device that I take on that creates a magnetic field in your seat that mimics the magnetic field of the Earth, known as the Schumann resonance field. I'll also use a device called the Human Charger. And the Human Charger shines a specific frequency of light into your ear holes onto your brain. You also have photoreceptors on your brain. The human charger has an app where you plug in your flights and then you use it at various times prior to your flight, on your flight, and after your flight to acclimate yourself to the time zone that you're going to. So the human charger is amazing for jet lag. And that one's like $140. It's not as expensive as some of the other interventions. Um, then for 
And there's a bunch of other devices that would take too long to explain. Um, I'll just name them, and people can research one. It's called the AMP coil. It's a PEMF and biofeedback device. I always travel with that. I also travel with uh, now I have like all these different like like um, Pelican cases. It's, it's ridiculous. I've started like hiring an assistant just to take all my freaking bags. I'm so absurd. Um, the amp coil is amazingly powerful for travel and a number of other things. I also use uh, a hydrogen inhaler. It's called a vital reaction hydrogen inhaler. It's a little cumbersome, but it's quite light. So I usually throw that in my suitcase. And then the third big needle-moving device that I use is called a Nano-V, and that also has a nice road case. You can just check it as baggage. And the Nano-V creates something called structured water, and essentially uh, you breathe in this vapor or this mist of the water, and it drastically reduces the impact of oxidative stress, which is, as I said, one of the main issues with flying. So those are the big heavy machinery things. Those devices are like four to eight to twelve, actually four to twelve thousand dollars. So not something everyone would be interested in investing in. As I said, the free ones work great too. Uh, I'll give you a couple supplements and then we can move on to anything else you want to talk about. Um, and these, you know, back to the topic of your show about beauty. I mean, these things all really are good for not only how you feel inside, but the manifestation of that health on the outside as well. I'll just throw that in there. Uh, the supplements that I think are really important on a plane are, are powerful antioxidants and uh, the most powerful that I've found in terms of antioxidants is molecular hydrogen tablet. Uh, the brand that I mentioned that makes the inhaler is a vital reaction. They also make these little tablets, uh, which create uh, a hydrogen gas in water that you drink. So I'll buy like usually three bottled waters in the airport. I get the least crappy water I can find. Like I'll try to find Evian or, um, or Fiji water. Those are usually the two. Highest quality waters you can find. Unfortunately, they're still in plastic, but they're better than like Dasani or Arrowhead or any of those crappy waters made by Coca-Cola and Pepsi, respectively. I'll put the Vital Reaction tabs every 90 minutes, two of those, and just chug those down. Uh, oftentimes, I'll also put uh, chlorophyll in there because chlorophyll is also really high in copper, which helps with the oxidation issue. I'll do a crap load of DHA. There's a company called Symbiotica, mm -hmm. which used to, be called, used to be called MitoLife. Now they're called Symbiotica. They make um, an algae-derived vegan DHA oil that's 50% DHA. And this also really helps with heart health, brain health, eye health, and inflammation uh, that's caused from flying. So those are kind of, I'd say those are the Oh, there's one more. Those are two of the three main supplements that I recommend for flying. The other one would be liposomal glutathione. Glutathione is a master antioxidant that's actually produced by your body based on different things that you eat. However, you can supplement a negadose on glutathione that helps detox you while you're flying. It also assists in the oxidation of, um, of, of your body and the lack of oxygen and all the free radicals that are produced from being in that environment. So the DHA from Symbiotica, the vital reaction tabs, and then the liposomal glutathione, the brand that I like the best that I've found um, on earth is made by Quicksilver Scientific out of Boulder. And they have a whole line of liposomal supplements that are amazing. And I would recommend even getting some of their um, B-complex liposomal they're sublingual, so you just you squirt it under your tongue and you just kind of let it absorb. They also make an amazing um, melatonin, which I don't really do most of the time unless I'm 
totally smoked and I need to knock my ass out for an extended night of like really deep sleep. But I definitely use melatonin to adjust my circadian rhythm when I travel. The Quicksilver Scientific's melatonin, that shit is so strong because of the uh, the absorption level of the nutrients that they provide through their liposomal delivery, which essentially means that the nutrients are encapsulated or nanoemulsified in tiny little fat molecules that get into your bloodstream uh, much more effectively than if you were to eat a pill or something like that. Mm-hmm. So those are those are my my main hacks, I think, in terms of uh, in terms of flying. Our next highlight comes from Maria Marlowe, best known as the acne nutritionist. And Maria has helped thousands of women improve their skin by upgrading their eating habits and self-care. And here she tells us more about the nutrition skin connection. And she also shares some awesome tips on how to eat foods that align with your skin goals. So it's funny because I never grew up thinking I would ever get into nutrition or food or healthy eating at all. I grew up on a really processed, standard American diet. I always joke that, in in truth, uh, the only vegetables I ate up until the age of 18 were tomatoes on pizza and french fries. Um, And I really got into nutrition because I I developed a lot of health problems. So around my 16th birthday, I started getting acne really badly. I I was about 20 pounds heavier than I am now, but that actually didn't bother me at all. I didn't even know that I was 20 pounds overweight. It's when I changed my eating habits for other reasons. I dropped 20 pounds. I was like, oh, okay. Um, And I was just sick all the time, like every cold and flu and virus. And so all of these things, and I just didn't feel great. So long story short, I, when I got to college, I was originally studying fashion, and one of my classmates there, I was complaining about my skin, and she's like, hey, it might be what you're eating. And I'm sitting there, it was like lunch, and I'm eating pizza and Entman's chocolate chip cookies, <laughs> and probably washing it down with a soda. And she's like, yeah, it might be, might be what you're eating. So I'd been to all these dermatologists. Um, I tried proactive and every over-the-counter. I tried prescription medications, and nothing was really clearing up my acne. So I was like, okay, fine. I bought a book on the subject. I drastically changed my diet, cut out processed foods. I added in vegetables besides tomato sauce and french fries. And uh, lo and behold, my skin actually cleared up. So for me, that was like when the light bulb went off and I was like, oh my God, food is so powerful. Why isn't anyone teaching us this? And I made it my mission to then teach people the power of food. Wow, that's so crazy because you're literally like a you were like an experiment totally. yeah, and you saw the results <laughs> yeah and that's you know that's what I tell people food affects each of us differently so you and I can eat the same exact foods and they might be fine for you but for me they cause acne or for me they cause bloating or for me they cause something allergic reaction and so because the way food was affecting me was on my skin I could see it in the mirror a lot mm-hmm. of people aren't so lucky because the way that food affects them is internal. So they don't really know what's going on. And it was, you know, it was a blessing really because I was able to really see in the mirror when I ate certain foods, my skin cleared up. When I ate other foods, I woke up with a giant pimple. (laughs) Yeah, and so you said like, well, some of the things that people have issues with, they can't see. So what would be some of those things? Because I think a lot of people don't make the connection that something like arthritis has to do with what they're eating. So what are some other 
issues that people might have that are connected to what they're eating? Oh, kind of almost everything. You know, <laughs> really food affects everything. So yeah. from eczema and psoriasis and other skin conditions to things like arthritis and any sort of inflammatory problems, digestive issues are a big one. And it's interesting with digestive issues because that would make the most sense that food affects it because the food is coming in direct contact with our digestive system. But a lot of times people don't put two and two together. I've seen in my own practice, I'll have clients come in and I'll be like, do you have any digestive issues? And they'll be like, no, I just want to lose weight. And then as we continue working together, they'll mention that they're always gassy or bloated. I'm like, oh, well, why didn't you tell me this? They're like, oh, well, I just thought I was a gassy person. Uh, I'm like, no, <laughs> isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, people think like they don't even know that they're uncomfortable or that they like crap until they feel better. Right. And then they're like, oh my God, I was really bloated all the time. Or, you know, that's not normal. Like, it's not normal to feel like crap by like 10 a.m. or you know, 2 p.m. and want to go back to sleep. That's normal for a lot of people. I totally. And that's another big one. Fatigue or having a lack of energy can be because of what you're eating. Headaches and migraines can be triggered by what you're eating. Pretty much anything that you can think of in some way, shape, or form could be influenced, maybe not 100%, but could be influenced by what you're eating or doing. Once you take out the bread and the pasta and all the foods that the staple foods that someone's used to eating, they feel like, okay, well, what am I going to eat? There's nothing left. You know, we're not even exposed to, you know, other ways of eating because eating this way, eating cereal for breakfast, eating bread and sandwiches for lunch, eating pasta and pizza for dinner, that's just sort of the norm. And so people don't even realize that there are other options or where to find them or how to make them. That's why in my practice and on my website, I'm always focusing on how do you make plant-based foods? Like that's the recipes, the types of recipes I focus on because people know how to cook seafood or steak or whatever. They don't really know what to do with a vegetable. Now we're traditionally taught to look at the nutrition facts panel first, but that's really not the best way to ascertain the healthiness of a product because it doesn't give us enough information. More and more research is showing us that it's the quality of the calories that's more important than the quantity of the calories. So if you think about that, if you have 100 calories of cookies versus 100 calories of avocado, intuitively, you know that avocado is healthier. Or some people, some people think avocado is very unhealthy because it's very high in fat. Um, but, you know, 100 calories of an apple. And then, oh, maybe maybe it has too, too much sugar, right? So you know, they're not apples to apples. Like you're not comparing the same thing, even though it has the same amount of calories, it's going to react in your body very differently. And so that's why you want to look at the ingredient list and look for foods that contain ingredients that are made with real food ingredients. And some people say you want to make sure you can pronounce them. I think a better way to, to think about it is to think about you want to choose ingredients that you would stock on their own in your kitchen. So for example, you can probably pronounce high fructose corn syrup um, or yellow number five, but you're probably not keeping a bottle of those in your kitchen. So foods that contain them, I would avoid. I would stick to the ones that have simple ingredients, real food ingredients, and, and not a ton of ingredients. All right, my loves, that was part one of our all about beautiful skin segment. Part two with more highlights will be coming out this winter. So stay tuned for that. If you loved this episode, 
please give this podcast a positive review on iTunes. It helps us spread the word about the power of holistic health. I have opened up more spots for holistic life coaching. In my one-on-one program, I support you in reaching your body goals as well as going deep into transforming subconscious beliefs that are holding you back. Together, we really hone in on creating lifelong lifestyle changes that are in alignment with what you desire for your body, your health, and your future. You can click the link in the show notes to book a free call with me, and there you will find my other links as well. Thank you so much for listening. Have a beautiful week.